guys. Welcome to the Renegade Movement Performance Podcast. I'm Lex. And I'm Kyle. And today we have Scott Forbes on after so many reschedules because Kyle had to work and work and work. And we're so excited to bring him on today. So we're just going to let him uh, introduce himself to you and we'll go from there. Yeah. So my name is Scott Forbes, as you've already mentioned, and uh, I'm a professor, uh, an associate professor at Brandon University in Canada, in Manitoba. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of my, my daytime job is um, as a researcher, as a scientist, and uh, as an educator as well. And what uh, what topics do you show particular interest in in your research and uh, in your role as a professor? Yeah, so I do a lot of research in the area of nutrition combined with exercise. Um, mostly looking at uh, how to maximize muscle mass in a variety of different populations. So obviously that would be important for um, people uh, involved in sports. So trying to get stronger, um, faster, that sort of thing, but also for older adults as well. So we know that uh, muscle mass is really important um, as you age and you tend to lose muscle mass, but we've shown that with the right intervention, um, primarily resistance training, um, that uh, that you can actually grow bigger muscles almost at any age. Yeah, so you, uh, not just aquatics for the elderly, you're talking heavy resistance training. Yeah, ex- exactly. So we know that uh, progressive resistance training over time can, can lead to uh, bigger and stronger muscles. Um, so we've done studies, uh, you know, of six weeks in duration all the way up to um, the longest one I've been involved with was uh, 32 weeks. And uh, we've shown that in those individuals, um, even people that uh, were um, identified as being sarcopenic. So that's just a kind of an extreme age-related loss in muscle and strength as well. Um, That if we put them on an exercise intervention resistance training where they had to push themselves pretty hard in the gym, they actually were able to, to get big enough muscles that uh, they weren't classified as sarcopenic anymore, which is actually a pretty big deal and pretty cool. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, give yourself some credit there. You're talking about curing sarcopenia. That's fantastic. (laughs) With exercise nonetheless. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely possible to do. Um, It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. Um, But uh, yeah, exercise is, it's kind of a big deal. And I think a lot of people overlook it. So we know that, uh, um, only about 15% of the adult population is doing enough physical activity. And even if you look at the physical activity guidelines, they tend to emphasize aerobic exercise as being the best for um, for your health. But we're finding out more and more that uh, resistance exercise is either just as good or perhaps even better in some situations. Now, I imagine that's dosage dependent. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, of course, you have to do it at the right intensity, the right frequency, um, all those types of things to to achieve those uh, those gains. And did you find that was uh, different than what the ACSM recommended generally for adults uh, within that geriatric population? Um, what what ACSM would recommend um, is is uh, is effective. There is quite a bit of evidence to say that 
it is effective over time. Um, mostly what I've actually looked at was uh, either combining resistance training with protein um, or resistance training with creatine supplementation to try to get uh, even further benefits with regards to gains in either muscle mass, strength, or some sort of functional test as well. I feel like that's one of the things that come up a lot between whether it's um, CrossFit athletes or just whether it's someone who's just trying to get stronger in the gym. They always ask about protein and creatine and should should I be taking this and should I be taking that? Does it even work? Yeah, does it work? Um, so do you want to kind of go into that? Yeah, just absolutely. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I've done I've done a lot of research on creatine, and uh, actually we we just submitted a paper today on creatine as well. So, um, yeah, we're still doing a whole whack of studies on on creatine and resistance training. So it's a, it's a great supplement. So we've done, in 2014, we published a systematic review and meta-analysis. Basically, what we did was we found all the studies that were published in the literature, and you combine them together using a statistical technique. Um, and basically, we try to find out, at the end of the day, does creatine actually help gain more muscle and strength over time? Um, when it's combined with resistance training. And uh, so we put all those studies together and we found that creatine was effective. And this meta-analysis has been updated in 2017 by some, some of my uh, collaborators. Um, the lead author was Phil Chilibeck. And he is showing that uh, if you take creatine and resistance train, you gain about 1.37 kilograms more muscle than if you just resistance train alone. And this is this meta-analysis was an older adult, so individuals over the age of 50. So it's it was pretty cool and pretty uh, comprehensive. There's a lot of studies out there, and it shows that it is effective, that you can actually gain more muscle. Um, they've also shown that you can also gain more strength as well if you take creatine and resistance train compared to just resistance training alone. Now, what duration is it? Like the, is it the entire duration of the study, or how long are we talking to gain that amount of mass with the creatine? Yeah, so that was across uh, twenty-two different studies that were combined into the meta-analysis, and the studies range from seven weeks to fifty-two weeks in duration. Wow, wow. that's that's a wow. I also want to point out that for people listening, because um, not all of our listeners are um, maybe doing systematic reviews and meta-analyses, but uh, for those of you listening, that's one of the highest, if not the highest levels of uh, empirical evidence that you can develop. So um, long story short, you can trust those those results and those findings uh, bar yeah. none. So. Yeah. Now, if as far as timing goes, Scott, what is the best timing as far as taking creatine if you're going to start taking it? And if you're not trying to strength train, should you be taking it anyway? Yeah, so there's other benefits to creatine besides resistance training um, or getting further benefits with regards to resistance training. Um, there's actually some potential benefits on brain health as well. And there's potential that creatine can also improve bone strength. So um, there's, there's a lot of research going on with regards to creatine supplementation. Um, 
But if you want to maximize resistance training adaptations, we actually published another meta-analysis systematic review in uh, um, 2018, where we looked at when was the best time to take creatine. And um, there's only been a few studies that have looked at it. There was one study that looked at whether you took creatine on either five hours before and five hours after training. So like not even close to your training versus another group got creatine just before and just after. And they actually showed that if you took it close to your training, you got better improvements. Um, there's three studies that actually looked at if you take creatine before training versus after training. And when you combine those three studies together, you get a slight advantage of creatine after training. So perhaps that would be the best time to take it. The problem with those three studies is it's used a tween subject design. Mm -hmm. and what that actually means is, um, for example, um, I would join the study. So myself, for example, would join the study. I would get randomized to either creatine before training or after training. And I would train for a certain amount of time, let's say 10 weeks. And I would see how big my muscles got. So if I got creatine before training, that would be the data point for creatine before training. But then it would take another individual, let's say Kyle, and he would get creatine after training. And then we compared how either I responded or Kyle responded. And they showed that Kyle, who got creatine after training, responded slightly better. The problem with that, with that particular design is um, perhaps me and Kyle have different genetics. Um, we eat different amounts of protein. Mm -hmm. um, we get different amounts of sleep and all those things. So it's, we try to control those things in, in the scientific world, but it's hard to do. And so we actually just ran a within subject design where we had one side of their body get trained and get creatine before training. And the other side of their body gets creatine, um, gets the opposite condition. So get, uh, in this case, we get creatine after training. And then we compared how strong their right side got versus how strong their left side got. And actually, when we did that, that controls for genetics. Uh, protein intake, sleep, all those things that could potentially impact resistance training adaptations. We showed that both sides of the body got, um, they both got bigger, they both got stronger and to the exact same amount. So creatine before training versus after training. Right now, I would say it's, uh, it's really whatever's kind of fits your lifestyle the best and whenever you're going to take it mo most consistently. That's a lot of <laughs> like radically different from any other design I've seen on human subjects related to exercise movement stuff like that's phenomenal yeah that's definitely something that I've never heard of and that's so good yeah it's it's uh it's a kind of cool design I guess to to control for all those factors right that can potentially impact some of the results absolutely um so we were talking about other benefits of creatine We've kind of touched on uh, strength gains a little bit with resistance training, and uh, we were kind of talking about cognitive benefits. Scott, if you would just elaborate a little bit on cognitive benefits and maybe um, other benefits to creatine use as you see it. Yeah, so just like um, 
any cell in your body. It can use creatine. Um, it gets it actually gets converted into what's called phosphocreatine, and then phosphocreatine can be broken down, and uh, it can create this molecule called ATP, and that's essentially the the cell's energy. And so, um, you can get creatine in your brain, and we know that if you supplement with creatine, it's it's more variable. Um, than what happens in the muscle, but you can also increase the amount of creatine within your brain. And what they've actually shown is that, uh, for example, in, in rats, but also in humans, um, it helps them, creatine helps them uh, learn better um, and improves their memory. And so there's actually been a few studies in looking at athletes as well, trying to look at more skill-based or cognitive-based tasks like um, one study used uh, soccer shooting accuracy, and another one was in rugby players where they did a rugby passing accuracy test. And uh, one, the soccer study actually didn't show any benefit of creatine supplementation, but the rugby study did. And the difference between those two studies was actually the rugby study, they were sleep deprived. And so there seems to be more benefit to creatine on cognitive performance or brain health, um, especially when you're sleep deprived or when the brain is stressed. There's other situations that the where the brain might be stressed as well. Um, things like Alzheimer's disease, um, perhaps after a uh, concussion, for example. So th in, in theory, creatine could be a benefit in those particular situations, although there's not uh, solid evidence yet to support um, creatine to actually be of benefit, but there's there's good theory, there's good rationale that creatine potentially could be um, beneficial for um, either Alzheimer's or dementia, um, or in a uh, following a concussion as well. So that's one of the reasons that I continue to use it mostly. Uh, I had six or seven concussions in high school doing football, so I can use all the cognitive benefit I can get. Um, as far as hypertrophy and strength go, that's obviously a nice benefit uh, for me as well, but that's predominantly the reason I use it. But going to kind of the cognitive benefits, it was interesting that you said that the research is indicating that it's better or there's more benefit with creatine cognitively when you are sleep deprived. Now, there's a theoretical leap and bound without any kind of substantiation to it, but like talking about cell turnover and being deprived of sleep one you don't have that time for cells to you know go through the normal death and then regeneration cycle then you're kind of behind the curve right on on cells dying is essentially a little bit heavier on the balance scale than cells re regenerating yep so it's a quantum leap without maybe substantiation right but just as i'm hearing you say this it sounds like that would indicate creatine helps with cell regeneration within the nervous system the other thing yeah, i have yeah potentially so that that would be a really cool area to to research for sure um there's actually a study in uh former nfl players and they did a some sort of marker of cumulative cumulative head impact score um and they showed that those that had kind of more hits to the head they actually had lower brain creatine levels compared to individuals that weren't hitting the head as much. Um, so 
in in my opinion, um, yeah, creatine would, would be really important for football players to uh, maybe even protect their brain or help their brain recover after they've actually been um, hit in the head. So there's definitely some benefits to creatine for sure. So it's funny that you say that because the whole reason why we both started taking creatine is because of Annette. Um, she, we went to her house and Kyle told her about his concussions because he's had, I don't know how many, six or seven, six or seven concussions from football. And he told her that. And like, she asked us if we were taking creatine regularly and we said no. And she was like, well, you need to, because there's X, Y, and Z benefits. So, um, that part is particularly close to Kyle. And then she said, I have this friend, the creatine doctor. Yeah. (laughs) And that was you. Yeah. (laughs) um now I wonder uh have you done any type of research as far as age goes like is it ever too early to take it or is there anything it doesn't sound like there's anything too late because you're studying that older adult so I guess really the younger population yeah that's a great question as well and so creatine itself is it's made up of three amino acids so arginine, glycine, and methionine. Um, so anytime you eat red meat, for example, you're consuming creatine or seafood, for example, you're consuming creatine. And so it's a very safe supplement to take. Um, and there has been studies in children, although I've, I've never done studies in children or adolescents, but uh, there's, a, there's actually a review. It was published in Frontiers. And uh, it looked at the safety of creatine supplementation in adolescents, because we know that a lot of adolescents, uh, especially people that engage in exercise or are involved in sport, are taking creatine. So they wanted to, what does the literature say? And they concluded that it was a a very safe supplement and there's um, no consistent uh, side effects um, for adolescents to take creatine. So... Um, I don't, I would always say to individuals that uh, creatine actually has a much smaller impact than what people think it's actually going to do. Or people have these big expectations that if they take creatine, they're going to, you know, gain 20 pounds of muscle and get super jacked. And um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so it, it just doesn't have this big impact, right? So, but, um, I would I would suggest for adolescents or younger individuals just to kind of stick to the main things that are, that are really proven by science to, to be effective, like, you know, try exercising consistently, um, hit, hit the right intensities, get enough sleep, and just eat real food. Um, so those are those are usually the things that are, I'd recommend for children before ever considering uh, creatine supplementation. Yeah, I mean, it's in the name, right? Supplement. So uh, that's kind of very similar to my response when people ask me about supplements. I'm like, well, are you hitting all of the main factors of health and performance, right? Like, are you staying hydrated? Are you eating, like you are saying, real foods? Uh, are you sleeping well? And are you training and maintaining a consistent progressive overload, working on things? Like, hit those big pillars first before you start worrying about supplemental things uh, like nutrition supplements. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. As far as protein goes, we were talking about that before. Um, 
man, I mean, there's tons of benefits to protein as well, right? But I guess if you had to pick one supplement, Scott, protein versus creatine, which would you choose? Oh, creatine's way better. <laughs> creatine always always beats protein. No, it's it, uh, probably the, the there's actually a study. It was done in 2003 by Darren Burke and Darren Kando. They actually looked at the, combining protein with creatine, and uh, they got further benefits compared to just protein alone. So um, they got bigger and stronger muscles over time um, when they combined protein and creatine with resistance training. So com- combining those two supplements together is probably the best thing that you can do for kind of muscle health. Now, just because, I, you know, people always ask, well, should I eat food or should I take a protein supplement? I, I always stray on the side of like eat real food first. And then if you can't hit protein goals or whatever, go for the supplement. But what is your typical recommendation? Yes, I would also recommend the same thing. So um, supplements with regards to protein, it's actually uh, most people hit kind of the recommendation. So the recommendation is that you get 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. And you can easily achieve that with food. And if you're doing it with food, supplements won't have any other, any further benefit. Um, so for lots of people, um, and there's some people that do a lot of heavy resistance training and grow really big muscles, they might not supplement with protein. So it's not required. Um, creatine, though, it's, ac- it's actually quite difficult to get optimal levels or um, maximize your levels with food alone. You would have to be eating a huge amount of, of red meat, for example, or um, sa- you'd have to eat like one or two pounds of salmon a day just to get enough creatine wow. based off of what we actually give in the studies. Is salmon a, one of the higher creatine-rich foods? or? Yep, salmon, um, heron, beef. If you want to do it with milk, I believe it's like 200 cups of milk a day. That's all you'd have to consume. So, uh, Oh, my God. Just funneling gallons of milk. <laughs> yeah, so it's very difficult to get enough with uh, creatine in your diet. So that's probably the only supplement that I would say that if you really want to maximize muscle health is probably required. Um, protein isn't required. You can do it with food. Um, there's been studies with um, eggs, for example, uh, beef. Um, there was one a couple of years ago on uh, Greek yogurt after resistance training. They showed that that, again, improved muscle mass and strength compared to just resistance training alone. So there's ways to do it with food. Um, but like creatine is difficult. There's, to my knowledge, there's no studies that have uh, that have tried to maximize um, food sources with creatine. So if someone, I mean, obviously there's tons of creatine on the shelf. So if someone was looking to add creatine into their diet today, what would be the ideal? Like what form? And what brand? form and brand would you recommend? Yeah, so there's there's definitely lots of different types of creatine. You go into the store and you're going to be blown away by all the different uh, uh, variations of creatine. But 
most of the studies out there are on creatine monohydrate mm -hmm. and that creatine monohydrate has been shown to be really effective. Um, it's really safe. It's almost all absorbed. So there's other types of creatine, um, like creatine nitrate, for example, that increases or they suggest it increases the, the absorption and the bioavailability. But if you're, if you're almost maximizing absorption anyways, it doesn't make sense if you can go from, for example, um, if you're getting 99% of creatine into you, then maybe something that can improve that last 1%, but it's going to have very little effect overall. So creatine monohydrate is the safest, it's effective, and it's usually one of the, the cheapest um, uh, types of creatine out there as well. We uh, unflavored creatine right now because it's so easy to implement because we can put it in anything. Yeah. Um, so that was super helpful. That, that's exactly what Annette had said too. She was like, just try the unflavored because I was trying to get like blueberry or blue raspberry. And she was like, absolutely do not do that. She's like, just get the unflavored stuff. And then obviously it's less harmful for you anyway. But So for something that lasts the two of us, like almost a month. Yeah. We get like a cheap, I think it's like six star or something is the brand. Yeah. It's like $10. Yeah. It's super yeah, it's so cheap. cheap. Like the barrier to entry is so low. Just do it at we, this point. We, we got to stop talking about it because people are going to catch on and they're going to jack the prices up. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Don't post this podcast because <laughs> I don't, don't be able to afford creatine anymore. So <laughs> we'll start burning CDs, Scott, of uh, podcasts and we'll sell them out of the back of a car. Or <laughs> don't tell podcast. anybody. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's so many benefits to it, but I, there's still so many myths associated with creatine. Uh, All right, so people yeah. think that it puts on like tons of water weight. Yes. The number one. Uh, yeah. yeah, people think it, it's bad for your kidneys. Uh, people think it's a steroid. There's all these myths out there with creatine that I, I see it almost every day. It's it's pretty wild actually. And they're just that myths. I mean, it's not yeah. actual. Do you know where the water thing developed from and why people think that? Well, it, I, I, I said it was a myth, but it's actually true. Um, <laughs> so, creatine does increase water retention in the muscle, um, but that water retention, it actually causes a cascade of events within the muscle that causes the muscle to grow. And so um, that's actually a good thing. So people think of it as the myth is probably that that water retention is just that's all it does just creates puffy muscles and um, that that's that's where it ends. So that would be the myth because creatine actually does bring in more water into the muscle, but that stimulates uh, it's the it's these things called myogenic regulatory factors that stimulate these things called satellite cells and then. Um, basically, it increases the capacity for your muscle to grow. So it's it's actually a good thing for you to um, retain more water within your muscle. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So <laughs> you're not just injecting water into yeah. your muscles and blowing up like a balloon. It's creating more. Well, that's what people say. Yeah, I mean, people think that it's literally they call it water weight. Is what people will ask. They're like, well, it just puts on water weight. It's See, like, to me, well... I'm like, good. Because when people talk about being hydrated, they're like, yeah, you know, I drink my whatever recommendation they're going based off of. They're like, and I'm over and above beyond that. And they're probably like, 
I don't know, somehow overdosing on water, right? And I'm like, well, how does that even work? Because the water, yes, is going into your gastrointestinal system and being absorbed, but absorbed to where? It's not just ending at your bloodstream. It's going to your cells. That's the whole point, right? Like it's at some point becoming interstitial fluid and then working its way into the cells. And that's truly hydration. So if you're talking about retaining water into cells, unless you're getting to the point where it's causing cell death and being a problem, like, you know, if you have pruny skin and then it becomes macerated and cells are dying, like that kind of deal, sure. But at any rate, the point is if cells are getting hydrated and you're retaining water, in most cases, that's a good thing, right? Like you're talking about satellite cells then uh, are coming in and helping the muscles grow and, and develop like they need to. I don't know. <laughs> I just, it's funny that the quantum leap came from whatever uh, literature was talking about that process to it builds fluffy muscles and you're just retaining water. Like it's a balloon. It's just crazy. Yeah. So, so people say that it, uh, it does that. So it, um, it retains water, but then they'll also say that it dehydrates you and it causes muscle cramps as well. So then you're just like, what? Like that doesn't make any sense at all. Like, how can something that makes you retain water also dehydrate you? But uh, yeah, there's lots of all these kind of silly myths associated with creatine. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild, actually. Now, besides uh, muscle hypertrophy, resistance and strength gains, cognitive gains, uh, I believe you'd worked on creatine for endurance athletes. Um, yeah, there's there's some potential for creatine to be of benefit for endurance athletes. Um, probably, well, there was, there was a study actually in, um, in cyclists that took creatine. So one, so step back a little bit. One thing to consider with creatine is that you will put on um, muscle mass and you will also retain a little bit of water. So you're gonna gain body weight. So for runners, it might not be the the best supplement because if you put on uh, a kilogram or two kilograms of extra body mass, that can really be um, detrimental to your running performance. But for cyclists, weight is less of an issue. And so they did a study with cyclists and they gave them creatine. And they actually, during they did a 120 kilometer 120 kilometer uh, time trial and throughout that time time trial they made them do either one kilometer sprints or four kilometer sprints and they actually showed that if you took creatine it can improve kind of the final one kilometer or four kilometer sprints that they had to do so um there are some benefits in, in endurance athletes there's also some benefits of uh following a marathon um, if you took creatine you had less muscle damage so it's protective to the muscle. So if you're just running a marathon for fun and you just want to protect your muscle and not be super, super sore the next day, um, perhaps creatine can be effective in those in that situation as well. So our listeners are typical um, ranks athletes typically um, as far as like CrossFit and we have some just general like lifting. They just get spending time in the gym, getting healthy and whatnot. If you had to leave them with the best piece of advice, what would that be? Like a summary of recommendations. There's a summary of recommendations for them, just in case they decide to skip right to the end. 
Yeah, so I would say that that creatine is super, super safe. And there's studies to show that it is effective um, across a variety of different populations from young to old, recreational to even elite athletes. And so if you're going to the gym, you're working as hard as those CrossFitters do. I would just say, why not try creatine? And uh, maybe you can get further benefits um, and kind of maximize that time in the gym and just be a more efficient athlete. Yes, that is such a good statement. More efficient athlete. That's like something that we like bank on all the time. It's like just become more efficient and you can be stronger and faster and don't leave performance on the table. Yeah. Don't leave performance on the table. And so when there's supplemental things you can do, such as nutritional supplements and creatine, well, and it's cheap too. It's not like it's two hundred dollars for a thirty day supply. So, I mean, so such a low barrier to entry. Um, are you going to ask your question there? Yes. Before I forget, <laughs> good call. See any more creatine? I'm forgetting things already. Uh, so, so Scott, um, favorite movement pattern slash exercise slash whatever you want to. It can be a circuit, whatever you want. I mean, it's pretty much free game here, but. What is your favorite? And uh, if you want to, you can say why as well. Yeah, so I probably have two actually, Kyle. That's okay. Um, so one is uh, bicep curls. I just love doing bicep curls. And uh, mostly because it makes other people upset. And they're just... <laughs> uh... <laughs> Wait a minute. Why do your bicep curls make other people upset? Well, it's just a, uh, you know, an isolated... Um, <laughs> exercise that people deem it's it's non-functional oh within my although mind. it's it's okay. very functional <laughs> so for example um i have two young kids and we went to the park and of course um you know we we they took their little their bikes that they run along with we call them strider bikes and mm-hmm. of course when we got to the park they play at the park then they, they get tired so they uh didn't want to bike home so of course I have to carry their two bikes and then of course, uh, they also get tired of walking. So then I have to carry them home as well. And, uh, when I got home, my biceps were just, just on fire and, you know, so jacked. But, uh, and from that moment on, I was like, yeah, like biceps, one of the most functional exercise. So biceps are, are probably my number one favorite exercise. And then probably after that is, uh, I would just say uh, probably burpees, um, just because you can get both the strength adaptations, um, but also some aerobic benefits when you do burpees. So I know, again, those ones are, are relatively hated exercise out there. But again, if you just want to be really efficient and kind of get your best bang for your buck, probably burpees um, is, is a great exercise. I'm not entirely sure I ever want to work out with you. Burpees scare me. <laughs> Burpees are awful. They're so hard. Scott's going to lure you in with like, oh, I was going to hit like a bro workout. We'll hit some curls here and then burpees. 100 burpees. Go. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, they are really good exercise though. It's just, I think it's the mental game. That's part of it. Oh, that's a tough one. Oh my gosh. It's a very metaphorical exercise. Like you're knocking yourself down on the ground and then picking yourself right back up and jumping up. Is that a, like, like type two fun, I guess, if you enjoy it. Yeah. So Scott, we had um, some individuals on an earlier podcast. Did we release that one already? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. John um, and Lance. Yeah, John and Lance uh, from Type 2 Performance. And basically, they named their brand after the second type of fun, which, um, if anybody's listening to this and doesn't know, uh, there's two types of fun. Like, type one is you go on a roller coaster and it's like, woohoo, this is fun in the moment. But then, like, five years down the road, you're never talking about, oh, this one roller coaster, unless somebody threw up on somebody or something, right? Yeah. But then, like, there's a second type of fun where it's like, uh, for John and Lance, they entered a, uh, some kind of. The try, uh, it's a bike. It was a, was it a bike? It was like a bike ultra marathon or something. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a very limited amount of time to train for it. And they weren't into like endurance biking to begin with. And so it was long story short, a lot of things were against them and it was a suck fest. But since then, looking back on that event, they're like, man, that was so terrible. Like, and you just reminisce on it. And that's kind of the second type of fun is when things are really super sucky in the moment. And then later on, you're like, wow, that was that was terrible. Like, how do we even go through that? And you're yeah. just reminiscing on it. So, um, but yeah, so that's that's the two different types of fun. I'm thinking burpees are more like... But burpees are kind of... <laughs> more They're definitely type, type two, yeah. Yeah. You hate it while you're doing it. And then you're like, okay, I feel pretty good. So I can understand. I don't that. know. Scott loves him. He's got a smile on his face as he's doing burpees. <laughs> Oh my gosh. The dreams are yeah, we, we do a Tabata Tuesday in our household, so you could always join in on those. Oh, nice. Um, you know, I could be wrong, but didn't Annette join you one day? Uh, yeah, she did once, and I haven't seen her since. So <laughs> That was kind of what she said to me, too. She was like, it was crushed her. <laughs> That's Sheesh. awesome. Um, now, if people want to get a hold of you, Scott, how what is the best way to do that, and how can they get a hold of you? Uh, probably Instagram. Um, so Scott underscore Forbes underscore PhD. Perfect. And that's pr- and probably the best way to get a hold of me. Yeah. Perfect. Well, we'll put that in the show notes yeah, too. we'll definitely put that in the show notes. So make sure you look there to, and get a hold of Scott. If you have any questions, especially about everything we just talked about, he is the creatine doctor. So reach out to him and thank you so much, Scott, for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate having you on. It was really fun. Awesome. Thank you.